So go to uh, Romans 15. We'll get there in just a minute. We just want to recap first where we've been over the last few weeks. I was gone uh, last week, so pastor filled in. Um, But a couple weeks ago, we looked at the why of missions. We looked at why is missions important? Why does it matter? Uh, What is the purpose of missions? So we looked at that in the first week. And we saw three reasons why missions matters. First of all is that we are commanded to make disciples of all nations. That is the command, that is the mandate that we've been given, is to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. Second thing we saw is that it's God's plan to use the church to be his witnesses. We saw that in the book of Acts. It says, you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, uh, and to the ends of the earth. And so uh, we see that it is uh, God's plan to use the church to be his witnesses, use his people. And finally, we saw that God's plan involves people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to worship him for all eternity in heaven. Is that every nation, tribe, and tongue will be represented around the throne in heaven for all eternity. In John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal in missions. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. And so it says the goal of the church is worship. And so the reason that we have to have uh, missions matters is because worship does not happen. Because you can't worship God if you don't know him. And so this is kind of the idea behind the why of missions. Last week, Pastor Jeff, he spoke on the need of missions. And then tonight we're going to be looking at the call of missions. And we're going to look at this passage in Romans chapter 15. And you could read that uh, with me. And I'm using the ESV Bible, uh, just in case you were wondering if your Bible doesn't match up. It's just a little different version. But this is the ESV, Romans 15, verses 18 through 24. It says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Elyricum, I'm not sure how you say this word, but uh, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, uh, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've I have uh, so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So in this passage, there's three things we're going to focus on. And we'll look at all three of these individually, but the first one is a holy ambition. A holy ambition The second is an immeasurable need. And number three is a global strategy. And so that's kind of where we'll be going for the rest of this evening. So the first one we're going to deal with is a holy ambition. And what we see is that Paul was controlled by a holy ambition. Paul knew, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly what he was called to do. There's no question in his mind what God had called him to do and what God's plan for him was. Uh, In verse 23, we see that he had a longing to come visit and spend some time 
with his church in Rome, but he was unwilling to allow anything to derail this mission given him. He says, until this mission is complete, I'm not going to do that. So he had, this, he had this plan, and he understood what God's call on his life was. And this is exactly what Paul did. Again, he mentions in verse 23 that there's no more room in these regions for him to proclaim the gospel. Like, wow, that's pretty impressive. But what he doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that everybody had, had heard the gospel. That's not what he means. He didn't mean that every single person had been witnessed to, but rather he meant that his strategy had been fulfilled. He would go into large metropolitan cities. That's how he would do this. He'd go into the, uh, in, in these regions, into the big cities, and he would basically begin to evangelize there and start a church. And so when that happened, he would go on. But this big city church that he would start, that, that, that would start there, from there it would be like a hub into the other parts of that region, if that makes sense. And so Paul, uh, he had the, the vision of getting churches started, and then he would send associates into the surrounding region to evangelize there. So these large cities, again, they'd be like a hub for the surrounding areas. And now what he's saying here in verse 23 is he had been to all the major metropolitan areas, completing God's call, and he had a very clear understanding of God's call in his life, and he was laser-focused on fulfilling that call. So this is what Paul was doing. He says, I'm not interested in going where the gospel has already been proclaimed. I'm not interested in going where work has already been started. I'm interested in going, uh, going to a place where the gospel has never been proclaimed. And so Paul was controlled by an ambition to preach the gospel to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. From Jerusalem to this Illyricum, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure how you say that. It's modern-day Albania, which is kind of uh, north and, I guess it would be northwest of Greece into the east of, uh, into the, yeah, east of Italy there. And so he's kind of up in that region is kind of where he's talking about there. This is roughly a span of 1,400 miles. And so 1,400 miles by foot, by boat, by lots of, however they traveled then, he was able to go to these metropolitan areas, start a church, and then once that was established, he would send people out from that church to other places to evangelize, and then he'd move on. This was Paul's plan, and this is what he was doing. If you continue to read in Romans 15, you'll see that Paul's plans were to stop by and visit with the Romans on his way to Spain. So the question is, we're talking about this holy ambition, do you have a holy ambition? Well, you may say, well, what's a holy ambition? Well, it means something that you really want to do that God wants you to do. And not everyone's going to have the same ambition as Paul. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You hold your place there in Romans. We'll be in Romans again, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three, verses six through eight. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive wages according to his labor. So we see here 
is that not everyone should have the same ambition as Paul. He says that one plants, one waters, but it's God who gives the growth. And so sometimes we are the ones who plant the seeds. Sometimes we're the one who waters the seeds. But ultimately, if somebody comes to know Christ, it's because Christ did a work. It's because God did a work and saved them. And so it is some, some plants, some waters, but God gives the growth. So as a believer, we should have a holy ambition, something we really want to do for the glory of God. And having a holy ambition, what it does for us as believers is it gives us eternal focus, organization, and passion for your life. It gives us passion. It gives us, it gives us direction uh, for our life. And so you may be saying, well, maybe I've never thought of that. Or what if I don't have one? What if I don't have a holy ambition? Well, the good news is that God is the source of this holy ambition. It's, it's something that God places on your heart. It's something that God imprints on your heart. And so it, he is the source of this. It comes from a personal encounter with a living Christ, which happens at salvation. So when we're saved, we have this encounter with Christ. Uh, we're shaped and influenced and empowered. And it's, in this life, once we're saved, is shaped, it's influenced and empowered by the written word of God. So as we read God's word, it begins to shape us, it influences us, it empowers us. And that's why it's so important to read God's word. And then as you immerse yourself in his word, he comes and takes truth of that word and burns it in your heart until it becomes a holy ambition. Have you ever read a passage before and you just couldn't get it out of your heart? You ever read something and it just keeps coming back? It's really, uh, it's in your heart and you can't get it out of your heart um, and it, it keeps coming to your mind. This is kind of what this holy ambition is what it's talking about. Is as you read God's word, he imprints this and he burns it on your heart. And if this hasn't happened yet, saturate yourself with the word of God and ask him for it. Ask him for it. Say, God, would you give me a, a holy ambition, something that is from you that you would have, that you want for me to do for you. Now, if you have this idea and it doesn't like line up with scripture, that's not from God. That's not a holy ambition. So it has to be from God's word. It has to line up with his word. So if it hasn't happened yet, saturate yourself with the word of God. Ask him for it and be open to what God is saying and commit to being obedient to his leading, whatever he may lead you to do. So this first thing that we see here is this holy ambition that Paul had. The second thing we see in this passage is an immeasurable need. And it doesn't take much for us, and you realize this, is that there are lost people all around us. There's billions of lost people in this world, billions of them. And so it doesn't take much for us to understand that this need is immeasurable. We can't measure it. And holy ambitions, I love this quote here, are not about self-exaltation. They're always a form of love. They always meet someone's needs. So this holy ambition always is fulfilled in helping somebody's need. What is, what is man's greatest need? Christ, yes. It's we need a Savior. This is man's greatest need. This is a problem that we can't fix, and it is man's greatest need. And so this holy, these holy ambitions always lead to helping people's greatest need, which is meeting the Savior, be forgiven of their sin, being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And there's billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus and the scripture makes it clear that the nations are without excuse. And that is the question we hear so often, is it not? What about those who never heard? What about those who never heard about Jesus? What about those who uh, no one ever went to them? Well, let's read in Romans. 
Romans chapter 1. And see, in our minds, this often seems, we may say, well, that's just not fair. But we can't play the fair card. Because what is ultimately fair? If we want God to be fair, what's fair? Judgment. Eternity separated from him in hell. That's what's fair. And so we, we uh, fall on the mercy and we cry out for the mercy of God. And so in our minds, it's hard for us to understand this. But in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We see that whether they've ever heard the name of Christ or not, all mankind is without excuse. For although they, they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. And then if you go on, continue to go on, verse 24 says, Therefore, God gave them over, basically, to, to, to their evil hearts, to the lust of their hearts and their impurity, and it goes on from there. But what, ha- what has happened is that we've exchanged the glory of God for the lie. And so we are without excuse. You and I are without excuse. The people who have never heard are without excuse. These words we just read were written about people, about those peoples and nations that have never heard the name of Jesus. And again, for us, that's hard to understand. But we are without excuse. Uh, go to Romans chapter 2. And hopefully this will give us a sense of urgency when it comes to being people who, who share the gospel. But Romans 2, verses 12 through 16, says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are and law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work, work of the law was written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness, their con- uh, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so what we see here, basically, it, this, these uh, verses make it clear that everybody will be judged <clears throat> according to to that which they have had access. And at a minimum, what have they had access to? Creation. They've had access to creation. And we read that in Romans chapter 1, um, verses 19 again. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So God has shown 
He has revealed himself, not entirely, but he reveals himself in the creation. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So at a minimum, every person who's ever lived has been exposed or been, God, has revealed, God has revealed at least in nature and creation at, at a minimum. So there's only one hope for the world. What do we, what do we say that is the man's greatest need? Salvation, right? Knowing, knowing the Savior, meeting the Savior, being forgiven of sin, being transformed, uh, <clears throat> becoming his child. Um, we need, we are to be, uh, that, that is what the greatest need is. And there's only one hope for this happening. And this hope is found in hearing and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verses 13 through 17. And verse 13 says, For whoever who for whoever sorry, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who is whoever? That's whoever. That's anybody. So it doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter where what people group you may be from. If anybody calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But moving on to verse 14, then how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, we, uh, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul goes through this little thing. He says, for whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. But he says, well, how can they call on the name of the Lord if they don't know who he is? And how will they know who he is? How can they believe in him if, they, if they've never been told? Uh, how can they be told unless somebody tells them? Well, how, how, you know, how can they be, how can somebody tell them if they're not sent? And he goes through this whole, this whole, uh, process here and really what we're talking about here is missions and so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ so it's interesting is that faith you didn't come up with on your own you didn't wake up one day and decide I'm going to have faith in God it is something that God produces in you he gives you faith what is the means of giving you this faith the proclamation of his word and so we see faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? Hearing through the word of Christ. And so when God's word is proclaimed, when God's word is preached, when God's word is read, however that you were told the gospel, he birthed faith in you, if you know Christ. He gave you faith. That is a gift of God. It's not something that we can generate on our own. It is a work of God. And so salvation has nothing to do with us, has everything to do with God, and that takes the pressure off, does it not? We're commanded to make disciples of all nations. We're commanded to share the gospel, but we can't save anybody. God does. 
And so it takes the pressure off. And so we see is that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so we have this immeasurable need that people need to hear. In order for people to hear God's word, people need to be sent to tell the good news. And so this is what, what this immeasurable need is getting at. So the question here is how far are you willing to go to meet this great need? And the need is great. If you hold your place in Romans and go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Actually, I'll start in verse 30. uh, We'll start in verse 35. It says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had what for them? He had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So when Jesus saw these people, he looked on them with compassion. Do we see people, do we, do we have compassion on people? Do we have compassion on those we may not even know, but they don't know Christ, they have been told the name of Christ? Do we have compassion on them? And then he says, again, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what do we do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So again, I ask the question, how far are you willing to go to meet this great need? And the need is great. And again, we're talking about Paul's holy ambition. The holy ambition that God gives you, it's not going to be the same as Paul's. But whatever God speaks to you in, what, how far are you willing to go to be obedient to meet this great need? Will you pray? Can you, and every, we can all pray, right? Will you send? Will you go? Uh, what will you do to meet this great need? And finally, the third thing is a global strategy. A global strategy here. Uh, a couple different kinds of uh, missionaries. So we've kind of talked about the call. We've got we've, we've, we had this holy ambition that Paul had, it's his call on, on, of God on his life, and he answered that and was obedient to it, and he fulfilled it. Um, and now we're going to be looking at the, this global strategy, because we understand the need is there. But there's two kinds of different missionaries here. There's a frontier or a pioneer missionaries, and these are those who pour out their lives to break through thousands of years of darkness and the reign of Satan over people who do not know the King of Kings and the Savior of the world. Paul was a frontier missionary. Where did he go? He went to the places that no one had ever been. There had been no work done there before. Paul was a pioneer or frontier missionary. He went to the hard places, and uh, he was willing to do whatever it took. And that was his goal. That was God's call on his life. We read that in Romans chapter 15. He says... um, says thus in verse 20 and thus of chapter 15, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. So he was a frontier 
or a pioneer missionary. And then we have evangelist. Evangelist, by the way, would include us, by the way, even here in Midland, Texas, uh, with the place you work, your neighbors, people that you know. We are evangelists. Uh, we are those who tell the good news. But evangelists, those uh, missionaries in that sense, those who go, uh, go to where work has already been established previously. And uh, Timothy would be an example of this. Timothy. So Paul started that church, I believe Ephesus, and, and he's about to die, and he passes the torch to Timothy. Passed the torch to Timothy to be, uh, to be the young pastor of this church. And so Paul began the work, and he sent Timothy to evangelize and to build it. In 2 Timothy, uh, verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, and this is what Paul challenges him to do. Right before he tells him he's about to die, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This was kind of his final instructions to Timothy. And so we see that Paul, Paul, Paul was a pioneer missionary. That's why he would go in, establish a church, and then he'd go somewhere else, establish a church, and then he'd go somewhere else and he establish a church. And then what happened in those churches is from there, people went out. People went out and they continued to evangelize and to grow and to share the name of Christ and people were coming to know him. So our prayer as a church should always be that God will raise up many frontier missionaries. And my prayer is that you know, our, our youth are just meeting right down across this hallway over here, is that God will call some of them. That God would call some of them to be missionaries who will go. And so our prayer is that God would raise up many, many more missionaries and that he would make all of us evangelists, that we realize that we are evangelists. Evangelists is meaning that we share the good news. We have great news, and we're to share it. And so that, that is the prayer. I know that is our pastor's desire, is that we would see, because numbers, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the numbers of missionaries and pastors is really declining. It's on the decline, and we need more. We need more. And so uh, I know our pastor's desire and our church's desire is that we see some, of the, some people out of our church who would surrender to go whether it be a missionary, whether it be a pastor, whatever, but that God would begin to raise up people and call them to do that. And we've got a, a lot of youth over here meeting tonight. My prayer is that God would call some of them to do that. And he has, he has some in the past. And uh, I believe he'll, he, there's more. I believe there's more there uh, even now. So if you've been here any time at all, when I say here, meaning at, at Kelview, if you've been here any amount of time, you know that supporting missions is very important to our church. It's a very important thing. We talk about it a lot. Uh, we, we give a sizable part of our, our budget, goes toward missions. Uh, we invest heavily in our missions program because we believe in it. We believe it's what God has called us to do, is to make disciples of all nations. So we make disciples here where we're at, but we also want to have a part of this as well, all nations as well. So our church supports both kinds of missionaries. We've got the frontier missionaries. We have some people that are in some very difficult places where there is very little gospel witness. And we have some people there, and they have to, a lot of the times they have to be creative. When they send letters, they say don't publish this anywhere uh, because it's just a safety thing. And, and um, 
And so they, we have people that are in some very difficult places. And we also have uh, the evangelist types of missionaries, those who go and they work with, with uh, other missionaries as team missionaries. Sometimes they go and work as teams. Uh, maybe there's a, old, uh, a ministry that's been there. You know, a lot of ours that go to Europe, so we have uh, missionaries in Europe. They're trying to revitalize some churches there uh, because uh, those churches there have basically died. I mean, many of them have basically died, and so they're trying to revitalize churches and you know, things like that. But there, at one point, was a gospel witness there. And so we have both different kinds. But our model for missions here, and our pastor kind of talked about this in week one, and so I'm just kind of recapping a little bit. Our model, and I'm talk, recapping because we're talking about a global strategy, but our model for missions is to plant churches, train faithful indigenous men to pastor that church, and then plant another church. This is how John Barnes did it. And I, can't, I don't know how many churches he had that they have down there in Costa Rica, but it's tons. It's like around 40 or, or more. And what they've done, they, they plant a church, they train up somebody, a, a national, who can take that church. So what happens with, a lot of times, if a missionary goes somewhere and he just, and he starts a church and he's the, he's the main guy and he's preaching, what happens when he dies? What happens, which is what has happened since COVID, what's happened to a lot of our people is they can't get back. They've had to shift gears. They've had to change what they do. They've had to change fields. Some of them had to just have, have had to come off. Well, what happens when that, if, if you don't have a national person trained to be a pastor see what happens is what you what you want to see happen is that these churches are planted somebody is trained an indigenous person or a a national uh, to take that church to pastor it to lead it and then if the missionary has to pull out for whatever reason the church continues on and from there they can continue to train and to to start others um, as well so that is kind of our model is church planning and so while we have other, so while we do this, uh, that is kind of our model. So we want we have missionaries again who plant churches, and they plant another one, and they plant another one, and they train people up to take those. Uh, we have many who are having to be, like I said, creative. Uh, there's certain places in the world you just can't get into, and so you have to be creative in how you do that. We have one one who um, they're in Germany, and. They are ministering to Syrian refugees. Well, you can't go to Syria. You can't go there. However, they're coming to them. And so you have to be kind of creative in, in some of these things. And so uh, we, we do support both kinds of missionaries. And, again, we have some that are in unreached areas with very little gospel witness. And we have others who go to places where the work is established already. But it is a big part, and we, be, we believe firmly in it. And so and it, it's what God's will for us is. So as we wrap, kind of this, wrap this up tonight, we'll have one more week next week in this series. But the question tonight, we're talking about the call of God, this holy ambition. So you got, I want to ask yourself, what is, what is your role? And I have to ask, what is my role? What is my role in this? What is your role in this? Then as a church, what is our role in this? Well, the first thing, and this is something that everybody in here can do, is to pray. Is that we pray. Pray for what? Pray for our missionary families. Our pastor spoke about that a couple weeks ago. 
is how oftentimes children of missionary couples struggle. You know, the parents get called and the kids, it's like, you didn't call us. And they struggle. So pray for those families. Pray that God would, would bless them. Pray that God would, would use them. Pray that God would, uh, would, would help their children uh, as well. And so we think, we think about them as we pray. And then pray that God would raise up people from our church to go. That would be willing to go. So we can pray toward these things. Next thing, next part, what is your, uh, as far as what our role is, is to send. So maybe you're not called to go. But you can send financially supporting of those who have been called to go. And so without, without people giving, we can't, we can't support these missionaries. That is how we support missionaries is, is the people give. And then it goes to support those missionaries who are on the field. So we can pray. We can send by financially supporting. And then we could go. And maybe God's calling some of you in here to do this. And if you're battling with that call to go, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you about it. But maybe there's somebody in here who says, you know what, I've been, bat- I've been struggling with this. And uh, maybe that's you. I don't know. But if God's calling you to go, I'd love to talk to you about it. And then finally, fourth thing is to pray and ask God to give you a holy ambition. To give you a holy ambition for the glory of God. And that could be anything. We have a group of, of guys uh, in this church, and they go to Honduras on a regular basis, and they drill water wells. Uh, and and God, it's a holy ambition that they have. And they use this to minister to people and to reach people. Uh, maybe God has, gives you a desire to support something financially. I don't, I don't know what it is. But pray that God would give you a holy ambition for the glory of God. Maybe it's just to walk across the street to your neighbor. I don't know. But whatever God calls you to do, pray that he would give you a holy ambition for the glory of God, something that you, that you know is from him, he burns it in your heart, and you can't get it off your heart, and that we, go, that we walk in obedience. Be open to that and walk in obedience. And so our role, we're talking about the call of missions, this holy ambition, is that we pray, we send, we go, and then we ask God to use us for his glory. That's, what we do. That's how we do this. And so we're talking about missions is that there is, again, an, in, an immeasurable need. Is there are people around the world who need to hear the gospel. Now, fortunately, like here, you think about it. We're kind of in the Bible belt. A majority of people here have heard. Majority, but not all. You come across people sometimes that don't that have never heard the name of Jesus, um, but be aware of those things. And so we are to we are to be evangelists. And so pray and ask God to give you a holy ambition for the glory of God, and that He would use you, that He would use our church to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. And so we will wrap this up next week. So let me pray and then have a couple announcements, and we'll be done tonight. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you. Uh, for salvation that was brought through your son. Lord, we thank you for loving us, uh, even though we don't deserve it. We thank you for coming uh, to us, that you met us where we were at, uh, revealed our need of a Savior, you, you, uh, and you breathed life into our dead souls. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, that that would fuel us 
to desire to reach people. And Lord, as we talk, we're talking about missions, uh, we understand that mission starts right here. And, and Lord, it goes around, all around the world to the corners of the, of the earth. And Lord, we, we want to be part of that. We want to see you move. We want to see people come to know you. So God, I pray that you would use us. Lord, I pray for each one of us in here that you would give us a holy ambition for the glory of God. Just as Paul had this holy ambition to reach the lost, to reach people who had never heard your name. Lord, might you burden us, burden our hearts. Uh, Lord, it's something that comes only from you. And might we be open to that and, and obedient to that. Lord, I pray that you would raise up some people from this church. Um, Lord, that you would call them to go and that they'd be obedient to do what you call them to do. And Lord, we will, play, we will uh, praise you for that. So Lord, I ask that you would use this this year. Lord, that we see people come to know you. Uh, Lord, that's, what, that's our desire. And Lord, I pray that you would use us as, as your instruments uh, to do that. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.